Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. We're all pretty familiar with Ubuntu, but we've all been dabbling elsewhere. Just to see what it's like, what's different, is it going to make us appreciate Ubuntu a little bit more? And I say Ubuntu, Ubuntu bases with various desktops on top. I've been checking out OpenSUSE, but we'll get back to that. Dalton, you have been running Fedora for quite some time, I understand. Yes, basically since we did our challenges, I think my main machines have been Fedora, if not Windows, don't at me. It's been okay. Right At the moment, I'm using Fedora Classic on the Framework laptop and Fedora Silverblue on the Surface Go that I use for content consumption. And it's fine. Fedora is very committed to only including free software in the base image and making it at least a couple of clicks to get to anything terribly useful. Again, don't at me. That has changed, though. It used to be a lot more work than it is now. Now it literally is a couple of clicks. You get FlatHub going and you've just got everything you need. For the longest time, I was trying to figure out why my Surface Go couldn't play above 720p YouTube. And I finally figured out it's because the Intel media extensions, which allow you to use QuickSync, are only in RPM Fusion. And enabling that is a bit of a pain on Silverblue, because you have to install RPM Fusion Free, reboot, RPM Fusion Non-Free, reboot, Intel Media <laughs> Extensions, reboot, and then you have them. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, on that week of a CPU, OS tree is a little difficult to use. It takes a long time to update. And if you have automatic updates turned on, that can be like five, ten minutes of your boot process. That's just you can't use the computer for that time. That Windows feel. It really is that Windows feel. I turned on this computer before we did recording today, and for 20 minutes, Windows Explorer was using two cores. <laughs> so I guess it's better than that, at least. Not much to report on the framework, realistically. Someone did email me to say that they think my framework or the distro is configured wrong because it keeps dying overnight in sleep. <laughs> I did finally figure out it's because I had a USB Type-A card and the HDMI card installed. The HDMI card, they've replaced it now, you have to buy a new one, and it now doesn't act like an HDMI thing in sleep, so it is a lot better at using less power. And I don't know why the USB-A card makes it die overnight. So my framework laptop now has about the same ports as a MacBook Pro, and great. <laughs> Anyway, software. So it was not a software misconfiguration. Fedora's fine. And I like it that way because I like things that are fine and get out of the way. Gary, you've also been using Fedora. Yeah, so I think fairly similar experience to Dalton in terms of getting things set up and making sure that I had the proprietary repositories enabled and stuff. But it's all fairly well-trodden path with Fedora at this point. Running it on a ThinkPad X13 Gen 2, which is an 11th Gen Intel machine, say... Hardware compatibility-wise, everything was fine. And for me, the main thing was the standard GNOME setup with no real polish or changes. It made me really appreciate how much Canonical do to GNOME to make it actually usable. Yeah, I found that whenever I've tried out vanilla GNOME and then I try out Ubuntu. I mean, I'm not a GNOME person generally, but I've grown to... Uh, Accept it, shall we say, in certain circumstances. And yeah, the polish that Canonical adds to it really is quite something. But it's funny that it's quite divisive, isn't it? Some people really hate what they do to it and just love a vanilla GNOME. But no, I'm with you, Gary. It's way better what Canonical does. 
I wouldn't say that I love a vanilla gnome, but I have a set of extensions that I like better than the ones that Canonical makes. So maybe that's just what you're hearing, is people who like their extensions that aren't the ones Canonical makes, so they switch to the vanilla one so that they can install their own, that kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah, see, I think for me, I quite liked the way that Unity worked back in the day. So I just used most of the same extensions that Canonical put on Ubuntu, like dash to dock and yeah, making sure that the buttons are in the right place and that there's a minimize and a maximize and all the rest of it. But it wasn't even some of the UX stuff. It was some of the integration at the application level that I hadn't really appreciated that Canonical do. So one of the things that I use quite extensively on my workstation is Dejardoop or Gnome Backup or whatever it's called these days. And I use that to do a GPG tarball of my machine or certainly of my dot files and upload those to Google Drive. And that's always just worked out of the box in Ubuntu. In Fedora, it was like a real process to get working. I had to go and install like G Drive Python and all this other stuff that I've just never really thought about. And it has given me a newfound appreciation for all of those little rough edges that are just sorted out for you in Ubuntu. That said, in terms of using Fedora, everything I've needed has been there. There's a couple of apps that I use for work, like our VDI client and things that I had to use DistroBox to get working because they're Ubuntu or Debian only. But overall, it's kind of been fine. The Windows-style reboots haven't bothered me that much, but I think that's because I've spent a lot of time using a Mac as well, and it has kind of the same update mechanism. <laughs> so it's really not been too bad. Overall, I think the machine has just felt a lot more snappy than it ever did under 2204. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, performance, because I have heard from other people anecdotally that Fedora is that little bit faster than Ubuntu, and you found that as well then. Yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it, so it's incredibly anecdotal, but the machine does seem just a lot smoother. It wakes up from sleep a lot quicker. It goes to sleep a lot more reliably. Navigating around the desktop, like opening things like the file manager, just it's that little bit quicker. I used to disable animations and all sorts in Ubuntu, and I haven't found the need to do that in Fedora, but I can't really put my finger on what it is. Maybe it's a new kernel, maybe it's a slightly newer stack in terms of newer version of GNOME, newer version of Wayland, etc. But it does just feel that bit quicker. That is interesting, because I mentioned that I needed to install Intel Media Extensions, and so my computer felt a lot, lot slower under Fedora <laughs> than it did under Ubuntu, because I didn't have those drivers available to watch YouTube. But then once you installed them, presumably it was fine. Yeah, it seems fine but not noticeably different from Ubuntu then. Right. And it's not like I'm using a terrible machine where I should notice that stuff, right? It's an 11th Gen i7, it's got 16 gigs of RAM, it's got NVMe storage. And generally when I switch distros on that machine, I don't notice, but I definitely, definitely did with Fedora. I always wonder if it's the boot times that make up most of that perception because Dracut is a much more efficient boot system than init RamFS tools on Ubuntu. And I guess they both use Grub at this point, so that shouldn't be it. I don't know. For me, I always end up turning the machine on, walking off and going to do something, then coming back and realize I've not entered the Lux Pass phrase. So really, <laughs> big times don't make any difference to me at all. Chris, you've been trying out Debian because they've recently had the Bookworm release, and you're kind of uh, hedging your bets against Ubuntu and trying to see if you could replace Ubuntu with Debian, which is clearly much closer than going to something like OpenSUSE or Fedora. So how close 
of an experience did you manage to get with pure Debian versus Ubuntu? Well, you know, one of my hopes when we did the hopes uh, recording for this year was about this release, especially because Wimpress had said in the Ubuntu Mate release notes for 22.10 that he was putting a lot of uplift into uh, Mate specifically. So I went for Mate. So I went to install it. And the first thing I always notice is the font. <laughs> the font rendering on Debian uses Cantorel as its default font. It's just nowhere near as good as Ubuntu. The Ubuntu fonts are very well designed and they render excellently. Once I rebooted, I was like, wow, okay, this is very uh, rough. Everything that I'm used to having from Ubuntu Mate just isn't there. Theming, for example, you can install the Mate tweak tool, which isn't installed by default, and it has drop down layouts, but it literally just has Fedora, GNOME 2, or OpenSUSE. Those are the layouts. Oh, so it doesn't have the, uh, the Mac OS and all that? No, that's missing. So that's a WinPress polish, which I'm going to say a lot probably in the next couple of minutes. There's Redmond, like you say, Cupertino. They're all named after the layouts that we expect from Windows, MacOS. And then there's kind of uh, a Unity style layout, which is called Mutiny, which is a kind of WinPress little joke. And so, yeah, they're missing. The Yaru theme is not there but you can install it from the repos. The indicators are not Ayatana, which I'm used to. They're also in the repos, but when you install them, they're not quite working. There's two Bluetooth icons. You have to choose which ones you need. I started looking up whether other people felt this way, and I found a great quote, which sums it up. Lots of people were chipping in and saying, oh, the polish on Ubuntu Mate is much better than Mate out of the box. And someone just chimed in and said, it's Debian you are the polish. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's exactly right. And I think it's what people who install a desktop environment on Debian want. They want what is published as the point release of the desktop environment project, and then they want to do what they like with it. I think it would be unpopular if it wasn't that for the desktop environments. Yeah, it's not opinionated, is it? Debian gets you a pretty vanilla experience no matter which desktop environment you install. And then it's up to you to build on that. I mean, that extends all the way down to packages like Nginx. I don't even know if they have the symlinks in place so that you can do A2N mod style stuff with Nginx like you can with Apache. Mm -hmm. You can do that on Ubuntu because that's put in, but I don't think that's a Debianism. I think that's an Ubuntuism. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is just that most packages ship the way that the developer intended them to. And that's intentional. And it goes through the rest of my experience. So obviously the image is with non-free firmware enabled. And so you go into your sources list for apt and the non-free firmware repos are added, but there's still no contrib or non-free for software. You still have to add that. Backports was enabled. So if you call it with the dash T flag, you can pull stuff from backports. Tab order completion isn't enabled by default, which is a tiny thing oh. on Ubuntu. It's commented out in uh, Etsy bash dot bash rc so you just uncomment it and then it's enabled for everyone or you can put it in you know per user dot bash rc brisk menu is in there i built it up i added flatpak and flathub i installed distrobox because when i used to install debian i would do apt pinning which is fine as long as you keep on top of it you can set priority for testing and unstable and pull stuff in but 
you can still run the risk of making a Franken Debian and really ruining your system. So I like DistroBox for that. I set up testing and SID distro boxes to be able to install stuff slightly separately. And it's better than I remember when I've tried Debian out of the box. The final thing which really made me miss the WinPress polish was the compositing. So I put the laptop into standby. I brought it out and half of the windows were drawn with large black borders around them <laughs> as if someone had gone around them with a thick marker pen. It just doesn't happen on Ubuntu Mate. And I found other people that have it. And I tried changing the compositor to PyCom, which is what Compton was forked to, or any of the other options in Ubuntu Mate for like Dry 3 and an X render backend, a GLX backend, all the stuff that WinPress has done. It's just not implemented in a way that's polished off and bug squashed. Well, the advantage with Ubuntu Mate is his friends and family have been running that distro. That's why he made it. And so, you know, you've got obviously the community reporting bugs and requesting features, but he has dog-fooded it or drink your own champagne, whatever you want to call it, in the most important way that you can, I suppose, by having to support people complaining about these things. Why is this like this? Why is this like that? And that's why it is so polished, and also because he cares about it for himself as well. I mean, now he's kind of moving on to uh, all sorts of NixOS nonsense, but that's a different story. <laughs> but yeah, the, what you've got with the other Ubuntu flavors as well, and main Ubuntu, is a lot of polish, attention, care, and effort. Whereas it feels with Debian, it's not that it, they've not made the effort. They've made the effort to make it work, but they've not made the effort to make any decisions. The decisions are up to you. Yeah, I have to admit, I did uh, use Task Cell to have a quick look at Cinnamon and XFCE. And very briefly, Cinnamon is very well put together out of the box when you load it. And I, I think it's because it comes from Mint first and then has ended up in Debian, rather than it being a desktop environment like the others, which isn't historically closely tied to a distribution in the same way. And I did enjoy using it. It felt more polished. And then, yeah, I installed XFCE. You get the mouse and the, you know, the little uh, pseudo Apple dock and it's very dry, but you theme it up. It's very versatile and very quickly it's, it's fine. And that's what people want. It's not even a criticism. It's more of an observation. Well, yeah, you could say Debian is the kind of boring arch and it is the kind of toolkit to build whatever you want on top of. But unlike Arch, it's not constantly changing. So it's kind of like a stable, boring, Arch-like distro in that it's not meant to just be used as is. You're meant to take it and make what you want of it. The interesting thing as well is I, I didn't try it, but in my head, I had a thought experiment of thinking about what Plasma would be like. But for me, and this is not someone who's a user of it, but just observing people that do run it, I feel like I'd be very unsatisfied because of how quickly it moves. I'd be looking at Nate's blog posts and be going, I want that. When can I have that in Debian? Well, two years now. And there's no backports for Plasma. And I'm sure, you know, people are going to write in, I can tell already, saying, well, I run it and it's fine. That's fine. But from how I would think about it, Mate, XFCE, Cinnamon, I don't feel like the changelogs are revolutionary 
and ever changing. Whereas if I was running Plasma, now it would be fine. It's fairly current. But in a year's time, roughly, I'd be looking at these blog posts from Nate thinking, that's a cool feature. That's a bug I wish was squashed. And sometimes the bug's probably backported, but especially the features, it doesn't tally with a biannual release for me. A lot of people I think will write in at this point to say we should use Debian testing or SID, but it's worth noting that Debian testing and SID do not have the lookover of the Debian security team and bugs that exist in testing or unstable will get ignored by the security team, especially if there's about to be a new version of that package that's supposed to come into Debian, which could still happen in a month or two. Mm. That happened with a big open SSL thing a few months ago, though I don't remember the exact details. So just do be careful if you're running testing or SID. One, they aren't guaranteed to always be not broken for you. And two, there are security implications to that. But on the other hand, you might get the software that you want at the time you want. It's just a trade-off there. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 40 add-ons, including breakfast items like delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato, bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Dalton tried Factor and said the meals are delicious, nutritious, and convenient. He said the smoothies are tasty too, which is impressive for their relatively low sugar and high fiber and protein content. So support the show and go to factormeals.com lad50 and use code LAD50 to get 50% off. That's code LAD50 at factormeals.com slash LAD50 to get 50% off. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support. And for either 5 or $10 a month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Well, I've been using OpenSUSE Leap, which is the not rolling version. And I used 15.5, which has come out recently. To me, there's two things that matter when you're trying a new distro. And that is, how is the desktop set up? And how do you get and run software? And it turns out that the XFCE version of OpenSUSE is actually really nice. Apart from the weird wallpaper, which people in the Telegram group thought was graphical glitch because it's got these weird lines on the bottom, which is, is fine, whatever. But it's, I would say it's nicer than Zubuntu by default, but XFC is really easy to customize and move the panel around and add the items that you want and everything. But it was actually less work to get it how I wanted, so that was nice. How you get and run software? Well, Zipper is pretty intuitive, so... Installing stuff from the repos and updates and all that is just really easy. It's just zipper, update, install, that sort of thing. But there's no SnapD installed, and it's not in the uh, standard repo. You can't just zipper install it. I looked on the Snapcraft website, and the instructions tell you to add a repo. I thought, well, flat pack it is then, which thankfully is pretty straightforward. And I got my Firefox profile set up. That was a bit of a faff. But then there's certain 
tools that I've come to rely on from Snap, like YTDLP to download YouTube videos and other stuff like iPlayer and whatnot. So I thought, oh, right, well, maybe there's an alternative. And I ended up finding Video Downloader, which was a flat pack, which is a GUI tool, which is really easy. You just paste the URL in it, just downloads the thing that you want. So that was all right, I suppose. And uh, my test for distros is, can I get that weird Python visualizer thing going? <laughs> which is just so shonky. And I've talked about it loads of times. That's how I make the YouTube videos for these shows. And the listener sorted out a version that works on recent versions of Ubuntu, which was very nice of them. But I just couldn't get it going. And I didn't want to go down the distro box route. I wanted to see if I could just use just the distro as it is. And it made me realize that using a new distro just makes me feel like a noob. <laughs> and sometimes that's fun. So if I want to learn stuff and mess around, then that's great. But if I need to work on that machine then it's not fun to be a noob. If things go slightly awry on an Ubuntu-based distro, I pretty much know how to fix it. Whereas with OpenSUSE, I was just totally in the dark. I was just a complete noob. And when you've got work to do, you've got a video to build so you can publish this thing so you can then finish work and watch the cricket or whatever. You don't want to be messing around trying to make it work. And there's a second SSD in this laptop, the one that I installed it on, and... When I installed Zubuntu on that, and then the grub menu was going into Zubuntu by default, I felt this great sense of relief. And I've only gone back into OpenSUSE for testing to talk about it here. And I don't think it's specifics within OpenSUSE that I didn't like. It was just the unfamiliarity of it that I didn't like. And if I had time to learn it, I'm sure there are advantages there. But there is a time for learning. And there is a time for working. And I'm not going to work on a machine that is totally unfamiliar to me. I think that's part of the reason why I'm so reluctant to move away from Ubuntu on servers. I've done sysadmin stuff for Red Hat systems and things like that, but I am really, really familiar with Ubuntu on the server. And it's like that comfy pair of slippers that you come home into. And like you say, Jay, when I just want to get something done or is something that I rely on or something that I want to use to get real work done, having something that I'm intimately familiar with just can't be replaced. Like It would take years at this point to get me off of Ubuntu server. At the same time, it might be a great time to start developing those skills. You never know what's <laughs> going to happen next. You do never know. Yeah. Maybe that is the biggest argument for things like DistroBox and containers generally and abstraction layers where it doesn't matter what the distro is. Chris, you are really familiar with DistroBox now. You use it all the time. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can get that layer going on a distro, you're pretty much golden, aren't you? Yeah. I think Luke has done a fantastic job. Uh, I know it's not for everyone. I can hear Phelim tapping with his walking stick on my door. He's very angry, but um, I really do enjoy it. And it's exactly because of that. I use Slack for work. I don't particularly like pulling Debs and then installing them with apt from the Deb or with DPKG. I never have. I don't like adding PPAs and external repositories unless I have to. I don't mind Flatpak, but the Slack Flatpak broke this week for me on Mate. And I don't get an indicator when it's running 
which I find really useful in my working day because it has a red dot for a personal message and a blue dot for one of the channels I'm in. And it means at a glance, if I come back to my desk, I can see there's a message. When it's missing, I really miss it. And it turns out the Flatpak needs access to system dbus. And if you run it in a terminal, you see all these calls that aren't getting met. I tried using Flatseal to give the permissions. It just didn't work. And in the end, I just spun up a distro box of Ubuntu and then installed the deb inside it, and it works as a graphical application. If I don't want to do that anymore one day, I just destroy that. And sometimes I spin up an Arch distro box because the way they've packaged something is the way that I want to consume that piece of software. And I'm very much, I'm not angry about losing the old tools. I like the versatility. I I want to be able to cherry pick depending on what I'm specifically doing. I enjoy the versatility. So for me, yeah, I wouldn't be scared about being in unfamiliar territory as long as I had something like that, I think. Well, it was the same for me. I literally wouldn't have been able to daily drive Fedora for the last six weeks if it wasn't for DistroBox. <laughs> the VDI client I use, it's available as a snap. It's available as a flat pack. Those snaps and flat packs are not published by my employer. They're not published by the company that makes the VDI solution. I'm just not comfortable installing those and doing actual work with client data through it. But DistroBox solved that, right? Because I just created an Ubuntu DistroBox, added the repository, installed it, and it was absolutely fine. Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.